everyone. Welcome to Midnight Moon Stories. I'm your host, Raneem Fahad. Today's story is also from Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes stories weren't just popular when they were written, but even in recent times, they have been adapted into many movies and TV series. Today, I'll be reading The Man with the Twisted Lip. In today's story, there is a word that you might not know the meaning of. Opium is a drug which some people use, and it is poisonous when taken in large amounts. Now let's get started with today's story. Late one Friday night in June 1889, I was at home with my wife when the doorbell suddenly rang. I sat up in my chair and my wife said disappointedly, it must be someone wanting a doctor. You'll have to go. I was not pleased since I had just returned from a hard day's work. We heard the door open and then footsteps. A woman dressed in black entered our sitting room. Excuse this late visit, she began, and then suddenly lost her self-control. She ran forward to my wife and cried on her shoulder. Oh, I'm in such trouble. Please help me. Why, this is Kate Whitney, my wife said to me. They had been at school together, and Kate had been a friend for many years. I didn't know what to do, so I came straight to you, she explained. It's my husband. He's not been home for two days, Dr. Watson and I am so worried about him. In his days at college, Isa Whitney had developed the dangerous habit of taking opium, and in later years had not been able to give it up. This was not the first time Kate had spoken to us of her husband's trouble. We tried to comfort her. Do you know where your husband is? I asked anxiously. Yes, recently he has been visiting an opium house in the east end of London by the riverside. Usually, he is away only during the day and returns in the evening, tired and exhausted. But this time, he has been away for two days and doubtless is still in that terrible place. A young woman like myself cannot go there among such evil men. I am Isa's doctor, I replied, and he listens to me, so I shall go there and send him home. I promise you this. Ten minutes later, I was on my strange journey though I did not yet know how strange it was to be. There was no great difficulty in the first stage of my adventure, for I soon found the street. Between two dark buildings were some steps which led down to the opium house. I entered into a long, low room which was thick and heavy with opium smoke. Through the darkness, I could see bodies lying about. Most were silent, but some whispered to themselves, and others spoke in strange, low voices. I entered, an Indian hurried up with a pipe for me and some opium. I have come for a friend, Isa Whitney, I explained to him. And as I spoke these words, I noticed Whitney, tired and ill-dressed, looking at me through the darkness. Do you realize that you have been here for two days, man? I said angrily. Your wife has been waiting for you. You should be ashamed of yourself. 
You must be wrong, Watson, he answered in a strange voice. I have been here a few hours, only three or four pipes. But I'll go home with you, for I don't want to worry Kate. I walked down a narrow passage to pay the Indian for the opium Whitney had smoked. A thin old man was smoking his opium pipe, and as I passed, I heard a low whisper. Walk past me, then look back. I took two steps forward, and then looked back. It took all my self-control to prevent me from breaking out into a cry of surprise. whispered, what on earth are you doing in such an evil place? Quiet, Watson, he answered. Send your friend home and then wait for me outside. It was always difficult to refuse an order from Holmes, for he had such a masterful manner. So I made sure that Whitney went home, sent a note to my wife, and waited for Holmes. Later that night, Holmes and I were walking together down the street. I was very surprised to find you there, I said. And I to see you, Watson, he replied. I came to find a friend, I explained. And I to find an enemy, Holmes replied. I am in the middle of an unusual case, and I hope to find a clue in that house. I went in disguise because it is essential that no one recognizes me. My life depends on it. My enemy is the Indian who is in charge of that evil place, Watson. That opium house is the worst murder trap on the whole London Riverside. I fear that Neville Sinclair entered it and will never leave again. Now, Watson, I hope that you will come with me. Of course, I replied, if I can be of use. Holmes was staying at the house of Mrs. Sinclair at Lee, seven miles away. We traveled out there together, and he explained matters to me. The case seemed so simple, and yet somehow I can make no progress. I'll state the facts clearly, and perhaps you will see some light, where all is dark to me. Go ahead, I said. Five years ago, Mr. Neville Sinclair came to Lee. He seemed to be a rich man and bought a large house in the village. After a couple of years, he married to the daughter of a local man, and now they have two children. He had no special job, but was interested in several London companies. Normally, he traveled there each day on business and returned on the five o'clock train. He has a considerable amount of money in the bank, and so I do not think money problems enter into the mystery. Last Monday, Sinclair went to London as usual. By chance, Mrs. Sinclair also went to London later that day to visit some shops. At about half past four, she happened to be walking through the street where the opium house is. Do you follow me so far, Watson? It is all very clear, I replied. While she was walking down the street, Mrs. Sinclair suddenly heard a cry. She looked up and saw her husband at an upstairs window in the opium house. He appeared anxious and seemed to wave to her with his hands. Then he suddenly disappeared, as if someone had pulled him from behind. 
but Mrs. Sinclair had noticed something strange. Her husband's clothes were different. certain that something was wrong and so rushed down the steps to the house but at the entrance she met the Indian who pushed her out into the street she quickly found some policemen and returned to the house with them they went up into the room where she had seen her husband but there was no sign of him apart from the Indian the only person in the house was an ugly beggar Hugh Boone who seems to live there both men said no one else had been there that afternoon, but Mrs. Sinclair noticed on a table a present which her husband had promised to buy for his son. This discovery caused the police to examine the house carefully. At the back of the house, on the riverside, was a small bedroom which Boone used. There they found all of Sinclair's clothes, except his coat, and by the window were some drops of blood. All this pointed to an evil crime, Watson. The Indian said he had been downstairs all afternoon and knew nothing, but he could not speak for the beggar. Boone, certainly the last man to see Sinclair, is well known to the London police. He is a pitiful object with orange hair, a pale, dirty face, and a terrible twisted lip. But he is clever, and I think the police made a mistake when they did not arrest him immediately. For possibly he had the chance to pass something to the Indian. The police noticed that Boone had some blood on his shirt. He explained that he had cut his finger, which was quite true. Although he said he had never seen Sinclair and knew nothing about the clothes, he was taken away to the police station. Was there any other sign of Sinclair? I asked. Yes, Holmes continued. Outside by the riverside, below Boone's window, the police found Sinclair's coat. The pockets were filled with pennies. I suppose that Boone was trying to throw away the dead Sinclair's clothes when the police came. He had put the heavy coins in the pockets to make it sink. The police found no body, but the river probably carried it away. It certainly seems a probable solution, I said. We must use it until we have something better, replied Holmes. But there are still too many questions which I cannot answer. What was Sinclair doing in the opium house? What happened to him there? Where is he now? What is the exact connection between Boone and Sinclair's disappearance? I have never had a case which seemed so simple at first, yet really was so full of difficulties. By this time, we had arrived at the Sinclair house, where Holmes was staying during his investigation. As we approached, the door opened and a small woman stood before us. Well, any news? She anxiously asked Holmes. I am afraid not, Mrs. Sinclair, he replied. This is my friend, Dr. Watson. He has been of great help to me in several of my cases, and a lucky chance has made it possible for me to bring him along. I am delighted to see you, she said, pressing my hand warmly. Now, Miss Holmes, she said as we entered the room, I wish to ask you one or two plain questions. Certainly, madam. Do you truly believe that my husband is alive? she asked. To tell the truth, no, I do not, Holmes replied uncomfortably.
think he has been murdered? I am not sure, perhaps. And on what day did he meet his death? On Monday, answered Holmes. Then perhaps you will explain how I have received this letter from him today. What? Holmes shouted, jumping up from the chair. She gave him a letter which he examined with great care. It had been posted on Friday. The envelope was not in Sinclair's writing, his wife explained, but the letter itself was. The envelope also contained my husband's ring, Mr. Holmes, and I am certain the writing is Neville's, but it is the way he writes when he is in a hurry. The message reads, Dearest, do not be frightened. All will come well. There is a mistake which may take some time to set right. Neville. It is possible that the letter itself was written on Monday, but it was not posted until today, Mrs. Sinclair warned Holmes. You must not take any hope away from me, she said. I am sure Neville is safe. We are so very close that I know when something happens to him. For example, on Monday morning, when he cut himself upstairs, Although I was downstairs at the time, I knew for certain that something had happened to him. Tell me, said Holmes, when you saw him at the house, was the window open? Yes. Then he could have called to you? I suppose so. But instead he just gave a cry? Yes. I thought it was a call for help. And you thought he was pulled back? He disappeared so suddenly. Perhaps he jumped back, suggested Holmes. Tell me. Has your husband ever taken opium? Never. Thank you, Mrs. Sinclair. Now we must get some sleep, for Dr. Watson and I may be busy tomorrow. Holmes never rested when he had an unsolved problem. Often he did not sleep for days, sometimes a whole week. He turned the facts over in his mind, arranging them in different ways until he reached a solution or else decided that he needed more facts. I soon realized that he was preparing for a sleepless night. He sat down in an armchair with his pipe and a large pile of tobacco. When I awoke in the morning, Holmes was still sitting there. The room was much fuller of smoke and the pile of tobacco had completely disappeared. Awake, Watson? he asked. Yes, then get dressed. We have a journey to make. He smiled as he spoke and seemed a different man to the serious thinker of the night before. I want to test a little idea, he continued. I really have been very slow in this matter, but now I have the key to their problem. And where is it? I asked. In the bathroom was the strange answer. No, I am not joking. Soon we were making our way to London in the early morning. Holmes spoke as we travelled along. In some ways, it has been a most unusual case. The facts have been before me all the time, but I have been so blind. Still, it is better to learn the solution late than never. We arrived at a police station at the centre of London. There, Holmes asked to see Bradstreet, the officer in charge. A tall, heavy man came down the passage towards us. Please come into my office, he said, and we entered a small room. Are you holding that beggar, Boone, the one connected with the disappearance of Neville Sinclair? 
Holmes asked. Yes, he has been kept here, the policeman replied. Is he quiet? Oh, he gives us no trouble, said Bradstreet. But he is a dirty fellow. His face is as black as coal, but we cannot make him wash it. I would very much like to see him, said Holmes. Would you? That is easily done. Come this way. Bradstreet took us along a passage, through a door, down some stairs, and into another passage with a line of doors on each side. We stood outside one room, and through the window we saw a man sleeping on a bed. He was ill-dressed, as beggars are, with a coloured shirt and a torn coat. He was indeed dirty, and beneath that dirt was a horribly ugly face. Because of his twisted lip, several teeth were showing. Bright orange hair grew low over his eyes. He certainly needs a wash, said Holmes, and to my surprise he brought out a face cloth. We then quietly entered the prisoner's room. Holmes put some water on the cloth and began to wash the face of the sleeping man. Gentlemen, my friend then said, allow me to present to you Mr. Neville Sinclair. I have never seen such a change. Not only had the brown dirt disappeared from the face, but also the twisted lip and the bright hair. Before us was a pale, sad man who looked very surprised. Realizing what had happened, he screamed and threw his face into the bedclothes. That is certainly the missing Sinclair, said Bradstreet. I recognize him from the photograph we have. There has been no murder, explained Holmes, only a great mistake. Turning to the man, he said, You should have told your wife the truth. But I did not want my children to be ashamed of their father, the prisoner replied. What can I do? You must now persuade the police that there was no crime, and so no possibility of your guilt. The matter will then go no further. God bless you, he cried, and then began his story. You are the first people to hear my tale. When I was a young man, I worked as a reporter for a newspaper. One day, my chief asked me to write about beggars in London. That was the beginning of my adventures, for it was only by being a beggar myself that I could get the necessary information. Since I had once been an actor, I knew how to disguise my appearance. I painted my face brown, wore orange hair, and gave myself a false twisted limp. With this disguise and poor clothes, I became a beggar in the busiest part of London. In a single day, I could earn as much as the newspaper paid me for a week's work, so I decided to give up reporting and spend all my time as a beggar. Did anyone know your secret? asked Holmes. Only one man, replied Sinclair. He was the keeper of an opium house where I changed my disguise each morning and evening. I paid this fellow well and knew my secret was safe with him. I was a very successful beggar and as I became richer, I bought a house and married. My dear wife knew that I had some business in London, but no more. Last Monday, I had finished my day's begging and was taking off my disguise at the house when I had a great shock. I saw my wife in the street looking up at me. 
I gave a cry of surprise and threw my arms up to cover my face. Quickly, I jumped back and put on my disguise again. I was afraid that my wife might come in and recognize my ordinary clothes. So I decided to throw them out of the window into the river. At the window, I opened a cut I had received that morning. I had time to throw only the coat away before my wife and the police entered. Then I was arrested on suspicion of murdering Neville Sinclair. Before the arrest, I had managed to give the Indian keeper a letter from my wife, together with my ring. I told her she had no cause to fear. I wanted to keep my disguise as long as possible. That is why I refused to wash my face. Unfortunately, the letter reached her only yesterday, said Holmes. Good God, cried Sinclair. What a terrible week for her. The Indian must have been slow to post it. Things must stop here, said Bradstreet. If the police are to remain quiet about this matter, then there must be no more Hugh Boone. It shall be so, promised Sinclair. Very well, said Bradstreet. Turning to my friend, he asked, Tell me, Mr. Holmes, how did you solve this problem? By sitting in an armchair and smoking my pipe, replied Holmes with a smile. Come, Watson, let us return home. That's it for today, everyone. I'll be reading another story next time. I hope you enjoyed. Stay safe and goodbye.